Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. For the first time this calendar year, first time in 2019, we have a Monday rolling into game week. Game week for Ole Miss, for Mississippi State, for Southern Miss is... Golden Eagles will play against Alcorn State on Saturday night. Mississippi State will be in New Orleans meeting up with Louisiana Lafayette on Saturday morning, and Ole Miss will be in Memphis meeting the Memphis Tigers also at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Coaches spoke today. We'll have some of what they had to say earlier coming up for you this afternoon. It's Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. We've also got uh, some results from the weekend, some actual, real, live football to talk about, and we are glad to be with you. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Sports Talk, brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Borky's back. He took Thursday and Friday off last week and uh, went to the uh, to the home country, a little time back in the Palmetto State. Did you have a good trip? I did, yeah, and I left all the breaking news behind me, apparently. Yes, apparently so. There were a few things that happened while you were away, especially on Friday. But we made it. Yeah, we, we were able to navigate our way through it. Yeah, it uh, sounds like it. I was, I was honestly a little jealous, even though I was on vacation. I was like, man, you know, we spend all summer talking about nothing, and then we get a quarterback battle, we get NCAA stuff, and here I am sitting on my butt, you know, 500, 600 miles away. Uh, yeah, well, hope you enjoyed the time off, because you don't have a whole lot of it coming up, and your life's really going to get busy <laughs> in about a month and a half. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. Yeah, down, uh, down around seven weeks, I think. So uh, really getting serious. But no, it was good. I, I learned that I have a new least favorite person or, or somebody that I hate in travel mode. We talked about the people that get up on airplanes before the, the doors open and you can't go anywhere. I have a new yeah, least guy, favorite the person. The guy that you cussed and that you tried to fight, that's no longer your least favorite person? I didn't try to fight anybody, but I did use a choice word. No, I've got a okay. new least favorite person. It's the my time is more important than everybody else's guy. Our flight yesterday out of Greenville, uh, we, we get on the plane, pilot comes over the speaker and says, there's some kind of weird thing with the hydraulics. We need to get a mechanic out here get it checked out. 20 minutes later, mechanic comes out, does some things. Pilot actually leaves the cockpit to come tell us personally that it's a broken part. We don't have a replacement part. This flight's not going anywhere. I'm really sorry. Uh-oh. So, And the plane is completely full. It's a, it's a booked 100% plane. They tell us to get off the plane and then wait in line at the desk at the gate, and they will send us wherever we go. Full plane, probably, what, 150 people or so. And the guy in front of me goes up to the counter. We're all in the same boat. Our flight is canceled, completely canceled. Greenville is a small airport, not many flights out of Greenville. We're all, for lack of a better term, we're all screwed. And this guy gets up to the counter 
this lady's working really hard rebooking people. She's heard it 10 times already about how inconvenienced everybody is, and he goes in on her. Don't you realize that I'm, I'm going to miss my connection now, and I'm not going to get home on time, and I've got work in the morning, and I'm going to miss work, and I've got a big meeting. He's, just, he's yelling at her because he's going to miss his next flight. And it took every ounce of my energy, and my pregnant wife was there, and she wasn't feeling well. Just pregnancy nausea stuff, nausea. So I, I didn't, but I wanted to just grab him by the shoulder and said, look, buddy, look behind you. Every single one of us is missing something today because of this. You're not special. Stop yelling at her. She's doing the best she can. It's not her fault the plane's broken. And he's yeah, screaming if you if you at this woman. If you don't want flight delays, then don't fly. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's kind of it. Just goes with the territory. I mean, it's inconvenient, but it happens. Like we we got home over six hours later than we were supposed to last night. They had to divert us to Charlotte and all kinds of delays. And but that's what happens. And this dude screaming at this poor lady that had nothing to do with why he's inconvenienced. Hey, Dad, you made it through the weekend, okay? We lost Hey Dad. We will get him back in uh, just a moment. Rippy, you uh, you played a bunch of golf this weekend, right? I did. Played in a golf t- or a four man scramble at Mossy Oak. It was pretty fun. That's a really cool course. I, I still I haven't played time. it, but I want to. You say it's absolutely worth it? Oh yeah, it even exceeded my expectations, and I had pretty high expectations. Um, saw some of our friends from the remote. Yeah. Um. So it was good. I had a good time. That course is uh pristine. George Bryan jump in and play with you for a little while? No, he did not. He did not. No, I didn't see him. What a great guy. Um, we are glad to have you along. Hey, Dad, have you, have you made it back? You made it back from your weekend okay? Yeah. Wasn't much to my weekend. Did you have a good so, weekend? Uh, no, not really. Did you go outside? I did. We had, we had a, a big party uh, Saturday night. That was a lot of fun. That sounds like a... So why did you have a bad weekend? One of my cats died yesterday. All right, we had no. to put him to sleep. We had to put him down, yeah. Is this the one that had been sick and it had to go to yeah. the doctor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't mean. Oh, bummer. Took a turn for the worse. So. Sorry, man. That's all right. The girls are not handling that particularly yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the, the, the rest of the family is in, they're in mourning. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's no fun, especially when kids are involved. Yeah, yeah. He had a good life, though. Lived to be 15. A 15-year-old cat? Yeah. It's a great life for a cat. Yeah, he did good. That is a long time. I mean, 15 years is a long time. I'm only yeah. nine years clear of that. <laughs> uh, just imagine if you had nine lives. I know. Be forever. Um, what a weekend. You know, we, we kicked off the college football weekend with Florida and Miami. And then we had uh, Hawaii and Arizona. Okay, honesty. Did you make it all the way to the end of Hawaii, Arizona on Saturday night? I didn't get to watch it. The place I was at, uh, so I was pretty invested in the Miami-Florida game, but I didn't get to watch it because the place I was at didn't have CBS Sports Network. Okay. So I didn't I didn't get to watch it. I would have, though. I would have been up for it, but I went to bed once I realized that this was not going to happen. Tried illegal streams. Uh, computer survived that. that. <laughs> um, Did either of the other of you two make it all the way through that game? I did not. I did not. I was uh, well. I mentioned that party on Saturday night, so I I just wanted to go to sleep at that point. So I got you, Borky. I'm going to assume you didn't in South Carolina. Uh, did not. Did watch uh, Florida Miami though. Yeah. Hey, hey, Dad. How are those tiny bombs? Fantastic. I know. That's a good beer. You like those? Huh? 
Oh, yeah. The chain yeah. started with Richard. Um, so I attempted to make it all the way through. I watched most of the first half. I made it through halftime, probably got about halfway through the third quarter, and then I fell asleep on the couch in my office and kind of in and out, in and out, and then I slept for a while, and then I woke up and my television had like turned itself off. So I flipped it back on and I woke up for the final play of the game and I thought I was about to get overtime. Uh, but then Khalil Tate got uh, tackled a yard short of the uh, the end zone. You so, woke up for the last play? Like, literally woke up. My television had gone to sleep. I flipped it back on, and they go, all right, here we go, 10 seconds left. They might have a chance for two plays. And then Rick Neuheisel goes, he's going to try it here. He might make it. He might make it. And then he didn't make it. I would have had trouble, like, there. going back to sleep. Like that, I watched a Twitter video of it, and it got me amped up. Yeah, it was uh, it was cool. I was tired, though, at that point, so I, I went downstairs. I was going to, like, nibble on something, and we didn't have anything in the pantry that I wanted to nibble on, so I just went to sleep. Warm glass of milk. Yeah, I was actually looking for a Nutty Buddy. The box was in there, but there were no Nutty Buddies in the box. Somebody had, like, eaten the last Little Debbie Nutty Buddy. You know what I'm talking about? Like the chocolate and wafer. Oh, the, the, you know the Little Debbie Nutty Buddy. Okay, I thought you were talking about a, I thought I was thinking of a Nutter Butter. No, 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 not a Nutter Butter. The Nutty okay. Buddy. They, they come in the yellow box. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Um, and so so I think my son, probably trying to play off that he had eaten one when he wasn't supposed to, left the box in there to make it look like there were some still in there. It's the like worst. I needed a like a 1.30 a.m. sugar fix, and it wasn't there, so I, uh, so I crashed. Uh, huge news on Saturday night that happened during Florida-Miami. Andrew Luck, uh, news broken by Adam Schefter at ESPN, stepping away from the game. I say stepping away. He's retiring and uh, had notified uh, the Colts that that was going to happen. Apparently that happened earlier in the week, and they were debating on whether or not to have a press conference on Friday before their uh, their preseason game or whether or not they were going to do it on Sunday. They elected to go with Sunday. Adam Schefter broke the news from his uh, mother-in-law's 75th birthday party in some small Italian restaurant in New York, and uh, then mixed reaction from people all over the place. You had people saying... Really cool that he can step away the way he did on his own terms. He's going to be able to get away from football and still be able to walk. He's made a bunch of money. Uh, appears the Colts have done a very noble thing and you know not trying to recoup any of the money that legally they could recoup based on the collective bargaining agreement. But then you also had the people who called him a quitter, um, like Dan Dockage and Doug Gottlieb, and decided to squat on those takes. It's kind of a, a lot of different ways to uh, look at that, and we'll uh, we'll spend some time talking about that a little bit later this afternoon. Going to look at depth charts. That's probably not interesting when you're going into week seven, but going into the first week of the year, uh, who's going to start? Who's going to back up? What are the ors versus the ands on the depth chart? We'll get to some of those. We'll let you hear some of what Matt Luke had to say, some of what Joe Moorhead had to say and uh, look at a bunch of other games that are happening this week as we roll into week one of the college football season. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. You can text us on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Just getting started in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Monday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. C Spire text line is open at C Spire Repair Centers. They love making happier experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair, fixing any phone from any carrier with certified parts and technicians. Visit cspire.com slash repair to find a repair center near you. C Spire, 
Customer Inspired. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Felipe Franks was 17 of 27 for 254 yards. He threw two touchdowns, but also two interceptions. One of them, a terrible interception late in the game that gave Miami a chance to come back and try to win. They were not able to do so as Florida won 24 to 20 over Miami in the season opener, kicking off the 150th season of college football, played at Camping World Stadium. Jaron Williams, the redshirt freshman quarterback for Miami, went 19 of 30 for 214 yards. He had a touchdown. He did not throw an interception, but he was sacked 10 times in the game by Florida's defense. And that, I think, was the uh, the biggest story of the game, Florida's ability to get to, put pressure on, and bring down Jaron Williams uh, despite an otherwise sloppy game, I, I thought the return of college football was glorious. Uh, a great crowd. Uh, the colors on the field look good. You know, Florida in their blue jerseys and Miami in their all whites. And Did you great see the atmosphere. TV rating on that, by the way? It was a big rating 4.1. It was the highest ranked game on ESPN since 2016, period. That was a Big Ten game back in uh, 2016. Um, so that means we're getting week zero forever. Yeah, because and marquee matchups it, in week zero. Yeah, and what makes it great is not to be that guy, but like, what else are you going to watch? You're right. So, like, the I mean, tour the, the only other option was an NFL preseason game at that point. Well, sure. I was about to say, sure, tour championship, but you can't really watch that at night. Yeah, it's over. Night golf would be wild. Um, I suspect they're going to add another one. Watch next year. There, there will be two marquee games. They'll have one at at three thirty Eastern, and then one at seven thirty Eastern, and that'll be week zero next year. Sounds good to me. Not? Yeah, you're going to get huge numbers. Yeah. So a big rating. The game itself was, if we're being honest, not great. I mean, it was great in the sense that it was college football and it was two name brands and all those things that I said a second ago. But the actual game, a bunch of missed tackles, some bad plays by both quarterbacks. Jaron Williams, who got sacked ten times, probably could have avoided four or five of those if he just would throw the football away. Uh, did not do it. What What were your takeaways from watching Miami and Florida on Saturday night? And that was the thing, right? Is everybody was talking ten sacks, ten sacks. Well, Jaron Williams kind of contributed to some of those. That doesn't excuse the other five or six, whatever it would have been. Miami's still not very good up front, but it just makes you wonder about Tate Martell, doesn't it? And that's what I kept thinking: is how this, bad he must be, how how bad he must be, or maybe it's an attitude thing with him because. Uh, look, he went to Ohio State for a reason. Urban Meyer forced him playing, at least in a backup role, at Ohio State for a reason. He's a talented kid, but I kept watching that game thinking, is it possible that Tate Martell is worse than this? I actually thought Williams was okay. I just yeah, it, yeah. It's a true it's freshman okay. in I his first was... start. So, you know, that's, that's about the floor he's going to be at, but he's still got to win the game. And they're not going to play anybody probably the rest of the season. I don't know if they play Clemson or not off the top of my head. But who else has a pass rush and defense like that in the ACC? I mean, he'll, he'll get better. And, and the offensive line will get better. I thought it's a very promising start for, for Miami and, and the start of the Manny Diaz era. Yeah, I thought he was okay because you get that kid hit that many times early. And, like, I would have thought I was going to die too. So, like, I would have been pretty scared. Um but if it was Tate Martell, if it was an attitude thing, wouldn't he not be willing to line up at receiver? I thought that was pretty telling. He went out there and at least tried to help. Yeah. No, you're right. And they line him up at quarterback a couple of times in, in the game. 
One of the things was just the sloppiness. 14 Miami penalties for 118 yards, and then nine penalties for Florida for 100 yards. And if I'm remembering correctly, there were three 15-yard penalties that went against Florida in the last two minutes of that game. Yeah, it looked like Miami was going to pass interference their way to first and goal. And what, one of them was on fourth and 34? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um. Yeah, Florida just not able to to. I mean, they they closed it out ultimately, but they weren't able to shut the door. Um, I I don't I hate to spoil this. I know somewhat of an audience turnover because I want to come back to this in winners and losers. But I think Dan Mullen gets a ton of credit for the way he called that game. Uh, they were four for four on fourth down conversions in the first half. Uh, they ran a fake punt that they executed beautifully. I thought he went out. He was aggressive. They had a plan uh, offensively. Now, Felipe Franks didn't always execute that plan. Florida didn't run the ball particularly well in the uh, in the game. Uh, LaMichael Piran had 10 carries for just 42 yards. But I thought from a, a play-calling standpoint and like a game management standpoint, Dan Mullen was really good in the season opener. And everybody's talking about that late interception, but th- uh, that throw was abysmal. I mean, you probably shouldn't have been throwing the ball there. That's what everybody was saying on Twitter. But Felipe Franks has got uh, Felipe Franks has got to make a better decision than that too. Did, did you Ever. guys see the camera shot and the look yes. that Steve Spurrier had right after that interception? <laughs> Insert meme. Yeah. Every MSU fan watched that fake punt and said, "Oh, now, now he gets one to go." I swear that guy never got a fake punt to work in four year or in nine years of start. Well, and and the the timing, what one, that tells you or it tells me that Dan Mullen believed they were going to win that game with no trouble. Yeah, I mean, for, to 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 go fake punt at your own thirty in the first quarter, and uh, you know, uh, after you'd already given up a field goal on the opening drive of the game, so. Um, anyway, well, and on the sloppiness, uh, there was a, a column in Yahoo about how uh, the game being that sloppy should end the week zero, and it's like one college football generally in the first few weeks is kind of sloppy, right? Like you you mentioned to me earlier, Richard, they don't play a preseason game. That, that was their first game that they played against an opponent. Really, probably the first time they've live tackled for any extended period of time, and they also started camp earlier. So it's not yeah. that they got one fewer week of, of practices in. It's just... Oh, you'll see a lot of that this weekend. Yeah, you'll just have more games to choose from, so you won't zero in on, well, this game was not football perfection, therefore it was bad. College football is not really that well executed. I mean, there's missed tackles, there's sloppiness, there's penalties every week of the year. And Borky, do you have do you have Matt Luke's comment on preseason games queued up? I, I asked Matt Luke in the... Uh, in the press conference today about preseason games and the fact that every level of football has them. High school teams play in a jamboree that doesn't count. Uh, NFL teams play four preseason games. And ask Matt Luke if college football needed a preseason game or some sort of a game that didn't count to get them ready for the start of a new year. may have to uh, go back and listen to that a little bit later. I don't know if we've got time to do it right now. Um his answer, though, on that was uh, was a little interesting. Uh, we'll circle back to that coming up a little bit later. You also had the uh, the Miami game, uh, or excuse me, the Arizona game, where they went to Hawaii 
and Hawaii jumped out to a fast start in that ball game. Uh, the entire night, uh, you had Arizona playing from behind, and listen to the the offensive numbers from this game. Khalil Tate for Arizona threw for 361 yards and three touchdowns, but he was picked off twice. He also ran it for 108 yards. Cole McDonald, the starter for Hawaii, threw four touchdowns and threw for 378 yards, but he also was picked off four times. And this is Hawaii's returning starter who's thought really highly of. They benched him late in the ball game. Siobhan Cordiero came in the game and went five for seven for 58 yards and a touchdown that, um, that gave uh, Hawaii enough to get over the hump. It was tied at 30... 35 at the end of the third quarter, and uh, then Hawaii outscored Arizona 10 to three in the uh, the fourth quarter of that ball game. How much trouble is Kevin Sumlin going to be in at Arizona when this thing all shakes out? Probably enough to lose his job. You think, think so? His great years at Houston with Case Keenum. Two great years at A&M with Johnny Manziel. What else has he done? And those are all inherited quarterback situations. He also yeah. has inherited Khalil Tate, who going into last season was a Heisman Trophy candidate. I thought they used Khalil Tate better. A little bit of a slow start in the game. I think they went interception, three and out, three and out on their first three drives. I don't think that offense really should do that ever. But that's how the game began. It was a really slow start, and ultimately probably what cost... Uh, Arizona that ball game they were down fourteen to nothing, boom boom, uh, to uh, to start the game and that was even with forcing a turnover early in the ball game. Uh, so Hawaii starts one and zero with the win over Arizona uh, out in Honolulu. So two games in the books. We're three days away from a bunch of Thursday night games. You got a few Friday night games, huge slate of games on Saturday, and then a game or two on Sunday, and then one game on Monday night. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Thanks for being with us. I guess biggest sports news of the weekend happened during the game between Miami and Florida, when uh, Adam Schefter broke the news that um, Andrew Luck was retiring from the NFL. Uh, Guys, I'm assuming that like most people's reaction, or at least seemingly on Twitter, most people's reaction was everybody, because we've seen people duped on Twitter so many times, everybody was immediately trying to figure out if that was actually Adam Schefter's account that was tweeting the information (laughs) And then it became real, and the reaction was, holy cow, didn't see that coming. One of the most, I mean, out of nowhere, the the only one I can think of, just right off the top of my head, obviously Michael Jordan's is always going to be number one uh, when he retired, you know, and then, of course, he he came back. But, I mean, yeah. Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders is a good one, yeah. Um, Just, you know. Just, just when it broke across the screen, it was, it was uh, the group I was with was just immediately like, "What?" And we were with some guys who had just had their fantasy draft, and they immediately started texting the guy who had drafted Andrew Luck, who was unaware, uh, and he was not a happy camper. Uh, but yeah, 
definitely something that, that caught everybody off guard, I would say. Well, joke's on him because he wasn't going to start the season anyway. Well, I'm just saying. Uh, it, it was surprising. It's surprising. I'm not going to sit here and try to sell you that I don't think it was surprising or I wasn't surprised using that word a lot. But remember, a remember were you surprised? A, a couple weeks ago, I think it was last week even, where we were here talking about how, well, here's another injury, and I said, I'm afraid he's going to go down as the best that never was. Because his body just took behind one of the worst offensive lines in football for years. He just took a massive beating over and over and over again. And yet here he was with an Achilles or ankle injury that hasn't really been disclosed. Rehabbing yet again. I didn't expect him to retire, but he kind of felt like he was always going to be somebody that just had incredible potential instead of somebody that had an incredible career because he he just kept getting hurt. And and if you think about it, it really was about a three-year stretch of getting hurt. Andrew Luck didn't have an injury, injury history coming out of Stanford. And he played his first three seasons for Indianapolis and got beat to a pulp because they were so bad up front. But he came out of those seasons, for the most part, okay. In September of 2015... In week three, he suffered a sprained shoulder in a game against the Titans. He finished that game, but then missed two weeks trying to recover from the injury. And we know that that may have led to more injuries down the line. November of 2015, after getting back on the field from the shoulder injury, a month later, against the Broncos, he suffered a lacerated kidney and a partially torn abdominal muscle. He woke up the morning after the game urinating blood. And that was it for the remainder of the season. In January of 2016, so after the 15th season, the Indianapolis Star reported that uh, that, uh, Luck had uh, suffered torn cartilage in his ribs in the Week 3 contest in which he suffered the shoulder injury. In November of 2016, in a win against the Titans, they had a bunch of those. He never lost to the Titans, 11-0. and uh, A concussion. In January of 2017, diagnosed with a shoulder injury. Underwent surgery in January of 17 to repair damage to the labrum. Lingering shoulder issue, played through it most of the year. Shut down in November of 2017, placed on injured reserve, and then returns to action in August of 2018. Played all of last season. March of this year, underwent an MRI that revealed a calf strain in his right leg, but we didn't know a whole lot about it. And then we've got, what, an ankle injury on top of that that may or may not have been related to the calf strain, and... It sounds to me like Andrew Luck said, you know what, there's a lot more of life for me to live beyond playing quarterback. And there have been some different takes about it. I read one that said there was actually some courage in Andrew Luck making this decision in that if he couldn't look his teammates and his head coach and the GM and the owner in the eye and say, I'm going to give it my best, I'm going to give you everything I've got, if he was doubting himself then he actually did the right thing by stepping away, even if that does leave the Colts without a marquee quarterback. The the, the hot takes on this are just ridiculous. I mean, 
first off, first off, he's a human being who's allowed to do what he wants with his life. He can walk away. I mean, I, I, you know, it just is. You, you can't tell somebody like that. Hey, no, you, you, you know, you owe, you owe us another season. That's just, it's just ridiculousness. Um, but I mean, I, I get some of the frustration of if you're a Colts fan today. Yeah, you, your franchise quarterback walked away when he should be entering his prime. I get that, but man, it's it's just painful. Like the, the booing of him at, at the state. I mean, come on, come on, guys. It it, it, it really is painful sometimes. It's a bad look, but I kind of understand the frustration because fans act irrationally and like right. it came out before they'd even had a formal press conference. Like I, I just wonder. I don't think he would have. Granted, he probably wouldn't have walked off the field if he'd had the press conference first. But like it came out before he even had the press conference, so like the entire stadium knew, and it was a weird scene. But like, I mean, if you watched the dude's press conference, you could tell it was a guy in a whole lot of physical and mental pain. And I think the mental side of it, he's also just struggling with like giving up this thing that shaped his entire life, but also knowing that it could dramatically affect the rest of his life if he continues with it. So obviously it wasn't an easy decision, but man, just what a bizarre setup the whole way the thing went down. I feel like I'm not faulting him, and I'm not even faulting him for the timing of it, but I feel like the way the decision got out, and it may have just been something that leaked that shouldn't have, but I feel like that could have been structured better. Yeah, the leak, the, whoever leaked it to Schefter is a... a Jerk. Uh, that that's well, the the real problem because he wanted to do a press. Uh, I mean, leaking that during a preseason game when you knew that Luck was going to do it on his own in a press conference on Sunday and do it his way. However, that got to Schefter is is my biggest problem aside from guys like Doug Gottlieb being idiots. But that's the problem to me is somebody ruined even, it for him. I don't really even put much credence into the Gottlieb docket stuff. And I'm not trying to be like the Twitter doesn't matter. I've got on that rant enough. But like those guys, like if you've ever listened or watched a Dan Dockett's broadcast, or I don't actually don't mind as a color guy, but Gottlieb does the same thing. They say stuff to get reactions. Like I don't believe that either one of them actually believes that he owes them another season or they actually thinks he's soft. They took that as an opportunity to get a rouse and a reaction out of people. It's why Doug Gottlieb, who's on his radio show, I think right now or was an hour ago, Requoted the same tweet that everybody you know dumped on him for. It was like discussing this now. He wants ratings and viewership. I don't think he actually believes any of that. Jeff on the ceasefire text line. Adam Schefter should be the one getting booed. I completely disagree with that. Adam Schefter was doing his job, and it was a huge story that he broke on Saturday night while he was at his mother-in-law's seventy-fifth <laughs> birthday party. Yeah, it's I mean, not I, Schefter. I, I, it's the guy that gave Schefter the info. Yeah. It's, it's if, not, if, people have a if somebody else breaks that, if Jay Glazer breaks that or, or somebody else, ESPN is asking Adam Schefter, what are we paying you for? How did you not get this? Yeah, people have a fundamental, not to crap on this text, but like just people in general have a fundamental misunderstanding of how media works. Like, you don't sit, like, your job is to get information and break news. Like, because it's inconvenient to the subject doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean at all you should hold it. Like, yeah, that's not how it works. And, and Adam Schefter did a, um, a quick one-on-one with Richard Deitch, who's a media writer now at The Atlantic, used to be at, at Sports Illustrated, and it was kind of taking him through the, the timeline on all of this. And he said, you know, the crazy thing is that it didn't get broken sooner, that this decision was actually made earlier in the week and that the Colts and Andrew Luck's people had done a really good job keeping a lid on this story, and he was really surprised that it had lasted as long as it did. Uh, here's one. So I'm not a professional sports talk show host, but I think that karma is a mm, 
for the way the Colts treated Peyton Manning. I actually have a different theory on this. So you know how they didn't recoup any of the money? Yeah. They would never announce this, or this would never get said publicly. But do you think part of the reason they didn't recoup the money is, one, they probably like Andrew Luck. They probably see that he's really struggling mentally and physically. But do you think some of them feel somewhat responsible for what he's going through now because they refused to build an offensive line around him and just let him get killed his first four years in the NFL? Because that's what this question. is a product of. I it's think not, that's reasonable. It's not one. It's twenty four million dollars. And it, yeah, and it's not one single injury. Like this last injury is not what caused him to retire. It's the buildup of all these. I mean, what did you say? Lacerated kidney, and he was peeing blood. Yeah. Like, I'd probably run to a hospital if that happened. Torn abdominal muscle. Right. These are deb- torn labrum. Incredibly painful, debilitating injuries, and they just let him let it happen for a while without building around him. So I would feel a little bit guilty. I don't know if they do. It's just an interesting question. Text message: Who would have imagined that Bradley Sowell would have a longer NFL career than Andrew Luck? Here's a text message: Enter Chad Kelly. Well, we'll see. But Chad Kelly does have to sit out the first two games of the year for a uh, suspension that was levied by the NFL. More with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We were talking about the Andrew Luck story. Text message on the C Spire text line. If Kelly ends up with the job, that would have to be one of the best comeback stories of the NFL. Yeah, no question about that. I mean, Jacoby Brissett is going to be the starter for Indianapolis. He may be the starter for the entire season. And as I said a second ago, and I, I did not realize this um, until I did a little digging over the weekend. I, somehow I missed the suspension that the NFL levied against Chad Kelly, he's got to sit out the first two games of the year. So regardless of how good he's been in the preseason, and he's been really good in the preseason, he's out for the first two games of the year. The interesting thing to me is what the Colts are going to do. Are they going to go draft, a, uh, or not draft, are they going to go try and pick up another quarterback, um, or are they going to um, kind of wait it out with Chad Kelly, let Philip Walker be the backup for a couple of games, and then have Chad Kelly come in as the backup? I Just a guess. I bet they stick it out with Brissett after Chelly, Kelly's suspension is over with. I guess the brunt end of that vacuum cleaner wasn't enough punishment for him. Um, but after that, I do think he makes it. I, I, do, I don't think Brissett makes it the whole season. Uh, I think like they'll stick with him until they're out of playoff contention because I think they're going to kind of suck unless Brissett is really, really good. But you get to week 11, week 12, and they're 4-8, and eight, something like that, like not going to the playoffs, wouldn't you throw Kelly in there just to see what you have in him? Because he hasn't played in a real NFL game yet, unless I'm mistaking. Je- Jeff tells us that Jacoby is much better than Chad. I, I guess uh, I would just say, have you ever watched him? I don't think you could ever – I don't think you could give an answer to that right now. Yeah, but one's more talented than the other. Done. Yeah, and I hope it works out for Chad Kelly. I hope, like, he kind of realizes it. I hope he doesn't, like, do – you know – I hope he does everything necessary to make sure when his name is called, because I think it inevitably will, that he's he's in a position to contribute, I guess I'd put it that way. The Colts are in a fascinating position, because this was supposed to be a year where they compete for and win the division. When you look at that division, it's one that they absolutely can win, with Houston being their biggest competition, obviously, but they just lost their running back for the year. And they're shopping to Davion Clowney because he doesn't want to play for them anymore. And 
Uh, other than that, Tennessee's going to be what they are. Marcus Mariota looked awful. I know it's a preseason game, but looked awful over the weekend. And Jacksonville is going to continue to be at the bottom of that division. With Andrew Ooh. Luck, that was – well, maybe. Uh, they'll fight with Tennessee for the bottom of that division anyway. Uh, that This was a year where, with Luck, they were supposed to win the division. They were supposed to make a playoff run. They were supposed to win right now. So do you try to find a quarterback but get rid of assets that you probably really need in the post-Luck era to satisfy the desire of your fan base right now to go win the division and one that you can go win? Or do you ride it out with Brissett until either he shows that he's not capable, you get out of playoff contention, see what you've got in Kelly, and then maybe go draft a quarterback and save those assets for the post-Luck era. Because that team, with a good quarterback, and Luck was a great one, can win right now. But that team's not winning right now with Brissett or Kelly, at least from what we know about them. So what do you do? I think this puts, like, as far as, like, I don't think, I think they ride the season out with what they got. I could be, I don't really know who you'd trade for. I'd be surprised. I, uh... I mean, Houston's offensive line is really bad. Tennessee, I don't really know what to make of. But, like, Jacksonville had the best defense in the NFL two years ago, and now they have a quarterback that can throw. Like, this would seem to leave the door wide open for them. Is Leonard Fournette a non-starter in Jacksonville? I don't know if he's healthy. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's that's, that division's fascinating to me. I'm not like, sold the, on Foles, really, though. I guess that's my hang-up. I know he won a Super Bowl, but... Different circumstances. That's fair. I was, I mean, like, I was mostly agreeing, though, in the sense that, like, if you're Jacksonville or Tennessee and you need a weird year to where you slip up and win the division, or not slip up, but, like, everyone slips up around you, this would be a golden opportunity for both of them, would it not? Should be. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, there is an opportunity there. A couple of news and notes items from uh, around college football. Ben Hicks is going to be the starter at uh, Arkansas. Uh, Chad Morris picks him over um, transfer from Texas A&M. Nick Starkle. Nick Starkle. Thank you. And uh, over Jerry Jones' grandson and uh, a couple of other guys. So uh, Hicks will be the starter of the SMU transfer that played for Chad Morris. Uh, there in Highland Park, and a lawsuit in um, in college athletics. Penn State athletics director Sandy Barber and football coach James Franklin have been sued by a former Penn State team doctor for allegedly violating Pennsylvania's whistleblower law. Former team doctor alleges that he was fired after reporting alleged wrongdoing by Franklin related to players' return to play. Penn State's former team doctor's lawsuit raises serious questions that the NCAA, university presidents, ADs, and conference commissioners must examine related to team doctor autonomy. The team doctors truly control return to play, or do highly paid coaches drive player health decisions? That is from Alicia Jessup at uh, Ruling Sports on Twitter. Interesting uh, stuff there. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Winners and losers is next. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, on this Monday of game week. Mississippi State in Louisiana, 11 a.m. in the Dome in New Orleans on Saturday morning. Ole Miss and Memphis at the Liberty Bowl kicks at 11 on ABC. State's game is on ESPNU. And then Southern Miss is at home on Saturday night. Under the lights, The Rock. 
against Alcorn State. So all of that is coming up for you on Saturday. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. If you're a farmer with equipment needs, need to buy a piece of property, refinance an existing loan, or maybe get your production loan, then reach out to Mississippi Land Bank if you are in North Mississippi. Again, the website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. It is Monday. It is just after 4 o'clock. That means it is time for winners and losers. All I, all I, all I, all I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. What did you see this weekend that you liked? What did you see this weekend that you didn't like? Who deserves to be on the winner's list? Who deserves to be on the loser's list? You can text us your opinions on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Uh, let's see. I'll just go rapid fire. I've got uh, I got three winners, and then we'll kind of go around the horn. Uh, I put Dan Mullen on the winners list. I mentioned this in the three o'clock hour uh, for two reasons. One, he wore a suit that actually fit. That was a good move by Dan Mullen. A tailored suit. He got a lot of TV time leading up to the uh, start of the game, uh, walking in with his team on the SEC network. Uh, but really. The reason Dan Mullen is on the winner's list is because he gave his team every chance to win. Now, they tried to give it away late in that ball game. Defense made big plays, uh, 10 sacks in the game. But I thought, you know, four for four on fourth downs, uh, a, a well executed fake punt early in the ball game to show your team some confidence. Uh, I thought it was a well called game. So, Dan Mullen on the winner's list. Uh, the New York Yankees got two of three against the Los Angeles Dodgers in a potential, potential World Series preview at Chavez Ravine this weekend. What was your, you know, degree? Ah, uh, the Astros would like a word. They would. I, that's why I said potential, which means possible, could happen. Aaron Judge really starting to swing it. I actually probably, if I had to bet on it, that would probably be the World Series, but that ALCS could be pretty wild. Yeah, no question about that. And Rory McIlroy was pretty brilliant yesterday as he wins the richest purse in professional golf history, wins the Tour Championship, wins the FedEx Cup, $15 million. That is a good payday. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. Manly Williams. Now, Manly Williams was already a winner because his name is Manly Williams, but he was the defensive tackle who flushed Khalil Tate from the the pocket and then charged 50 yards downfield to tackle him Mm -hmm. at the one and end the game. You don't see a lot of defensive linemen making plays that far down the field. When you combine that effort with the name Manly Williams, how can you be anything but a winner? Did not give up on the play. If not for that tackle, Khalil Tate goes into the end zone. They go to overtime, and who knows what happens. As it was, Hawaii and the Rainbow Warriors got the win in uh, the season opener against uh, Arizona. Forky, give me a winner. 
Uh, ESPN in, in relation to us because the rating that they received for that week zero game with Florida in Miami was so big that we're going to get more of it. So I guess good for ESPN because they get to print more money, but we're going to get more of those games. And that was a lot of fun. Kicking back with just one game on in the middle of August, I guess closer to the end, but you get my point. Mm-hmm. That was fun. It was a sloppy game. Who cares? I can't wait for more of that. We need more of that. Saturday afternoon was cool. I mean, I, I lit the grill up, did burgers. We sat out on the back porch, watched the game. Kids went to bed. I fell on the couch and watched the rest of it. Uh, I think my wife uh, may have bitten her tongue and just rolled her eyes when I wasn't looking that, oh, geez, college football is back. Here's Richard checking out. Uh, but it was fun. I agree with you on that uh, that account. Rippy, give me a winner. I was going to go myself, but I'm not. Um, For winning the golf tournament this yeah. weekend? Yeah. Won our fight. No big deal. Okay. Um, did you cheat? <laughs> we did not. We Rippy's not better with a pencil than anybody. No, I'm better with an eraser. Um, uh-huh, I see. Just kidding. No, we. it was fun. Uh, winner, you kind of took him on with the Rory McIlroy thing. I was gonna take, it, take, it, take it a step farther. It's fine. What do you mean? Well, I mean, give me something besides what I said. Um, you know that game we played about guys you don't know on the PGA Tour that are pretty rich? He would not fit into that category at this point. Um, he is beyond that threshold. So good time to be him. Um, In two golf tournaments in his career, he's won $25 million. That seems pretty good. <laughs> Think about that. He's won the FedEx Cup twice now. Joining Tiger Woods as the only two-time winner. And what, a couple of years ago, it was a $10 million prize, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, fifteen million. I will go Florida's defensive line as a winner. They were pretty good. They were good. I would agree with that. Uh losers. I, I'm going to hold mine, but I have a strong take on one. I think. Uh, hey, Dad, give me a loser. I'm going to sort of go to the opposite there of, of what Rippy just said. Miami's offensive line, goodness gracious, 10 sacks. Dan Enos has never been a, co- a coordinator I've been totally enamored with. I've, I thought he's just good at times. And and you sort of mentioned it Pretty there. Pretty good job at Arkansas, didn't he? He did okay. But, I mean, he's never been one of those guys that put up the, the mind-blowing numbers that make you wonder why he just keeps seems to be getting good jobs. Uh, and to, like you said, not to, to do anything to help him. I mean, when, you, when, you're, when you're struggling like that, you've got to change the scheme up a little bit. Roll your quarterback. You've got a mobile quarterback. Get him out of the pocket already. Uh, so, yeah, 10 sacks. That they're lucky that, uh, that Jaron Williams is still healthy and ready to go. There were a couple of times where it looked to me like they were trying to get him out of the pocket, but you think back to when he was calling plays at Arkansas and what they did with, um, oh, what was the quarterback's name at Arkansas three years ago? Uh, Austin had Allen? A brother, Allen. Yeah. Brandon Allen yeah. or Austin Allen? Yeah, yeah Brandon Allen's who I was thinking about. But where they do the little counter action and then kind of bootleg yeah. him out, yeah. they tried that a couple of times. Florida was having none of it. Like there was a, a defensive end or an outside linebacker to meet him coming out of the bootleg. Or like out of the, the the counter fake to get into the bootleg, and I thought, I know this is more complex than than what we ran in high school, but that feels like a very high school action, like open one way, fake the handoff, and then kind of bootleg out of it. You don't see a lot of that in college, and I think the reason is because generally speaking, defenses are fast and pretty well coached. At least didn't have a punter as a lead blocker like Nick Saban. Remember that one? Yeah. Against a, didn't work out a well. fake prevent defense, and they <laughs> yeah. still ran it. 
Hey, Dad, give me a loser. I just gave you a loser. I meant Rip uh, Borky. You'll get to me eventually. Um, I've got a bunch. I don't even know where to begin. Uh, the first one, the outrage police. Desmond Howard, I don't know if you watched College Game Day, said something that... Djokovic. You just can't say on television. You just can't do it. Anymore. Well, you there probably never could on College Game Day. It is a, a morning family show about college football. However, he was retelling a joke that was set on the Chappelle show. One of the most famous comedy skits of all time. He used a line from that skit... It's inappropriate for television. However, the outrage that came after that was ridiculous. People are just insane. He said a line he shouldn't have on TV. You're all going to be okay. Your kids are going to hear those bad words when they go to school on Monday anyway. So it's all fine. You don't need to call for his job. It's not a big deal. I didn't understand the reference, admittedly, because I'm not a like I you don't know I like a I didn't know something very obvious from Saturday Night Live all back. Like I don't get into a lot of that, but again, I don't really care about a whole lot. So I thought it was funny, even not understanding the joke. Like yeah. as far as like people just not getting a reference in general. I want to throw in my loser. We've got more time to get to Borky's laundry list of losers from the weekend. The stupid, ridiculous hideous, non-traditional players' weekend uniforms that we had to endure all over Major League Baseball where the home team is wearing snow-white uniforms where you can't tell what team it is, and hats, except for the pitcher, because pitcher can't wear a white hat, so he's got a black hat on, and then the visiting team is in black uniforms from head to toe, and you can't see any of the logos. Think about it. You had Yankees-Dodgers playing against each other this weekend. Two of the all-time classic uniforms of all time, and they're wearing that garbage at gorgeous Dodger Stadium. Come on. <laughs> I just learned just something. ridiculous. I did not know the pitcher could not wear a white hat. I like the idea, and the uniforms weren't as bad last year because the players, some of them, have some kind of cool nicknames or funny nicknames. But yeah, the, the white and black makes no sense. It was so dumb. We'll continue winners and losers with your submissions. Send them to us on Twitter at Sports Talk M I S S or text them to us on the Sports Talk Mississippi text line from Spire 601 879 4395. Late edition to the winners list. The. Old Crimson flag, the Washington State Cougars flag that you see every week at College Game Day, made it to the Magic Kingdom. Borky, they relented and allowed some signs, handheld signs. They didn't do the whole flag route, so it wasn't a flag on a great big pole, but uh, Old Crimson made it to its 225th consecutive College Game Day. At least they did that. The scenes were pretty cool. It- it didn't appeal to me at all because I've never been to Disney. I know. Um, I have a feeling I'm going to be making that trip here in a couple of years. Very sure. Um, but but that that didn't really do it for me. Seeing you know all the the characters like next to Maria Taylor as she's trying to talk just kind of distracted me. But it was cooler than I expected it was going to be. I mean, that was kind of a money shot for the uh, folks at Disney, right? Oh, you know, they loved that. Looking directly over the shoulder with Cinderella's Castle and Main Street USA in the background? Eh, That's pretty good. What did you start to say, hey, Dad? I don't remember. Something about (laughs) Borky and going to Disney? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. You're going to be doing that quite a bit. Yeah. Have you done Disney, Rippy? I did Disney once when I was, I don't know, 
somewhere in the eight to twelve range. I don't remember exactly. Not a like life changing moment for you. It was cool. Rods were fun. Food was okay. Yeah. You, re- you vividly remember that the food was okay when you were twelve. Yeah. Got to miss a couple of days of fifth or sixth grade, something like that. I was pretty jacked about that. It was nice. Okay. Uh, trip Dog says, you guys are winners for making the long trip down to uh, Wesson. Love having you on campus. Trip Dog, we had a good time. Had a, yeah. uh, a good time being there Thursday and Friday. And uh, fun couple of shows. Got to visit with some interesting people. Talked to Coach Davis uh, to wrap things up on Friday afternoon. And uh, got junior college football coming this week. Coming up on Thursday, uh, Borky was there. More of those cookies. That's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, for for a guy who's watching what he eats, I mean, you lost all self control on Friday. Those you saw some good. cookies. Where are these cookies? I didn't get any. You weren't there on Friday. You weren't there on Friday. How many did you eat? Like four. What kind of cookie? They were like this caramel turtle cookie. Man, they were really good. He ate four in 37 seconds. It was quick. I could do better than that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Y- Careful. Young man. Young man <laughs> Careful. You don't want to go down that road with me. You, you just don't. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. You don't want to do it. Rippy, have you got a loser? Um, Kevin Sumlin? That's pretty brutal. That's a good one. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, it's why. And I imagine... That was like a little mini vacation in some sorts. They'd been there since Wednesday. Imagine that plane ride home sucked. Yeah, they got home at like 5 in the morning on uh, on Sunday morning. Yeah, I don't think that's going to turn out too well. But at the same time, he's a winner because he's going to make a lot of buyout money and get paid not to coach, which is sweet. Uh, Borky, you said you had more losers? Yeah, a few more. Uh, first one up, the NCAA, because they have been promoting... Uh, diversity statistics, and it turns out they're flubbing them, including in their data, David Shaw, the head coach at Stanford, is listed as a white woman. He is the opposite of both of those things. Do we know that that he doesn't identify as a white woman? (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, you can't make assumptions in this day and age. Careful. (laughs) What are y'all doing over there? But how, I mean, they're flubbing these statistics that you could just look up and find that the head football coach at a college in Stanford, California, is not a white woman. So maybe you shouldn't flub your diversity diversity statistics. Don't flub your lines either. Yeah, I'm trying not to. All right, here we go. C Spire text line... Winners list. You got a bunch of the winners and losers that have come in. Uh, everyone, because college football is back. With Amen. that, uh, I agree. Winner Josh Donaldson giving a Mets fan who is a kid a signed baseball bat, saying, My biggest fan after he hit a home run. Kid wouldn't give him a high five after he hit the home run. The loser is uh, Colts fans for booing Andrew Luck for retiring after all he's done for that team in the city. The man's body is beaten up. Give him a break. Florida is a loser for getting jumped by Auburn. Did they like release a new poll today? I didn't see it if they did. Jeff and Grenada says losers Doug Gottlieb. Well, that was before today. Yeah, that was going to be one of mine, too. Him and Dan Dockich. Uh, Dockage was worse, I think, than Gottlieb even, because he tried to use the, 
I have family working in steel mills and they're teachers and this guy is tired. My backside was one of his tweets. Um, it's just an absolute joke that people can have that opinion, especially on a guy that his body is just completely torn apart. I don't see a teacher getting repeatedly hit by super big and strong and fast 300-pound guys repeatedly for their job, but that's just me. I think that's probably the irrational fan coming out because isn't Dockage from around that area? Does a radio show in Indy. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he did a radio That almost makes it less excusable. Um, yeah, that's not great. Amanda from Pike County, Winter River Ridge, Louisiana, Little League World Series champions. John in Greenwood, Tate Martell, loser at Ohio State and tweets directed to Justin Fields, don't swing and miss, especially twice. Fields goes to Ohio State. Martell leaves to go to Miami because he's terrified to compete and doesn't play. It's almost like he swung and missed twice. Uh, let's see here. This is from Spence in Brookhaven. Winner, Reese Roussel and his performance during the Little League World Series. Kid gave us the opportunity to witness history by breaking the all-time Little League World Series hits record and a batting uh, show that we may never see again. Great job at Colin last week. So uh, thanks to that for from uh, Spence. Uh, here's another one. Andrew Luck's a winner. Another one for the Little League World Series champions from Louisiana. Uh, loser, people standing under trees in a thunderstorm. Duh. That's from Jimmy in the bird. <laughs> Scary situation, uh, though. How about Brooks Kepka for missing a million-dollar putt? And on keeping 18. the tag on his Nikes while he played. I think he's going to be okay financially. Yeah, yeah. probably so. Uh, Andrew Luck for having courage to make the best decision for his health and his family. Loser, the Colts. Um, so let's see here. Am I missing anything? My two daughters for enjoying their first NFL game over the weekend in Detroit against the Bills. Loser, the pilot coming home from Detroit last night. Person losing their mind during storm turbulence, and he kept stating everything was fine. Poor guy. So you flew to Detroit to watch the Bills and the Lions in a preseason NFL game. Okay. Wait, I don't understand that last part. Would you rather the pilot be like, actually, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going yeah, down, I think, boys. I think he was saying he felt bad for the pilot. Oh, I th okay. I thought he was like scolding him for saying everything was going to be okay. I, I I could use a little more info if it's not uh, prying too much as to why you took your two daughters to a preseason NFL game between Detroit and uh, Buffalo. That that feels like it needs more explanation, right? I'm interested. Winner Andrew Luck, loser fans that uh, uh, booed him. Here's one. Loser in a, uh, NBC Sunday Night Football. The camera angle they had last night was terrible. I think when they went Skycam a lot. Trash that idea, never tried again. Another loser, Felipe Franks. Don't yeah talk the camera and fans. You're the quarterback of a top ten team. Not a good look. Not to mention a terrible pick that should have cost them the game. That is from Jeffrey in Tupelo. I don't mind them trying new angles and stuff in preseason. I'd rather them do that than just whip it out in like week three. Um, oh, I got a winner. The uh, I want to get this lady's name right. Um, 
the staff photographer at the Indianapolis Star. I don't really agree with everything Colin Cowherd says, but he tweeted and talking about how powerful an image can be. This lady's name is Grace Hollers, I think is how you say it. But like this photo of Andrew Luck was pretty telling. I mean, this is terrible radio because I'm showing Richard. But like, if you saw Cowherd, you've seen the photo. Yeah, pretty powerful. Well, maybe you should uh, retweet that to the Sports Talk Mississippi followers on Twitter. We'll see. Um, <laughs> what do you think of the new turnover chain for Miami? The uh, 305 gold chain. It's pretty cool. Loved it. It's not as cool as Ibis. I'm not big into like the props, but like people can do what they want to do. Yeah, but here here's the other thing. So. The turnover chain was Miami's thing, right? And then everybody copied them. But now the Miami offense has copied the defense, and they've got, like, bling rings for when you make a big play. That seemed to... uh, It's like we've beyond jumped the shark with regard to sideline bling. Wrestling belts, thrones... Turnover chains. Someone had like a trash can. The trash in a can that was Tennessee. Something. Yeah, yeah. It was fitting. It was a Butch Jones thing. <laughs> he just ended up in the trash can. Nice. Like somebody stuffed him in and just tossed him out in the dumpster. Now he's getting coffee for Saban. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Game week. In the state of Mississippi, Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy, Michael Borky, glad to have you along. Start off with just uh, kind of a random question. Fairly basic question. Hey, Dad, we'll start with you for Mississippi State, then we'll do the same thing for Ole Miss. Have you learned anything about Mississippi State this year during fall camp? Learn who the starting quarterback's going to be. Yep. Um, I learned that the they have a couple of guys in the receiving core I wasn't expecting to see much of who look like they can be contributors. Okay. I'll give you that one. Other than that, no, not much. Could any of the questions about each team have been answered before they actually took the – well, I guess before they actually take the field? Not really. We need to kind of wait and see, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Rippy, learned anything about Ole Miss this year during fall camp? Um, Learned their – Probably deeper at running back than I anticipated. Um, I mean, you knew the offensive line was really going to be a really, really pressing issue. I mean, as early as last December. I would say the other thing I learned, there's actually a potential that Ole Miss is a deeper team at wide receiver in 2019 than they were in 2018. Because they really only played three guys last year? Four, yeah, three. I'm not saying better, so like, please don't blow up the text slide telling me I'm stupid. Um, but or they do, could potentially. The yeah, you could actually. I don't care, but uh, <laughs> go do that on my podcast. Rate and review it. You can call me whatever you want. Um, but they could potentially. They would. They could have more contrib- consistent contributors than they did last year, and they could survive an injury or two better than they could have in 2018 at wide receiver. Um, other than that. Not really. I think the defensive line is maybe a little better off than I gave it credit for then. And linebacker and secondary are still pretty huge question marks. Hey, Dad, question that came up, and this is not related specific. This is more related to some of what we talked about on on Friday with regard to 
the NCAA stuff and the suspensions and whatever else. Somebody asked me this over the weekend, and I said, I don't know. Is there any punishment from the university for the academic misconduct stuff? I believe, don't know for sure, I could reach out and find out, and I probably should do that, that the, the players involved will be on academic probation, which means if they, uh, I think it's if they have a GPA below a certain amount this semester, they could uh, they could be they could lose their scholarships. I think that's right. Okay, I don't know how that works. I mean, you you've heard yeah. of scenarios where people get caught cheating or dealing in academic misconduct and they get expelled, right? Right. Or I be- I at believe- least they have they're failed in that class. Right, and they, and then they didn't get the credits for that class. That 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 did happen, but since that was discovered in. Uh, I believe fall. It was discovered for the semester of fall 2018. Since then, they've had spring 28 or 2019, and then summer to get caught back up. So I don't think it's a, there's an, any kind of eligibility eligibility gotcha. issues with anybody. So this we believe this happened fall of 18, right? And then was just discovered in the spring. Correct. Gotcha. All right. Fair enough. Um, the big depth chart reveals today. I don't know that it was that big. Uh, so, Rippy Ole Miss's depth chart rolls out. Um, quarterback is obviously somewhere that people would immediately look. Matt Corral, clearly the starter. John Rice Plumley or Grant Tisdale. And when you have an or, I think people are listed. I started to say al- alphabetically, but that's not necessarily the case. Because I'm looking at wide receiver and it's Drummond or Mingo or Battle. So. Does a name being listed first in the or matter? No. Okay. Not to my understanding. So do you think John Rice Plumley or Grant Tisdale is the backup, if necessary, on Saturday? Grant Tisdale. Okay. Um, Will they use I'm, – I'm interested in their usage of Plumley because all you hear out of practice is how athletic he is and he can do multiple things. Like, could they potentially – in this scenario, knock on wood, it doesn't happen. But let's pretend that Matt Corral goes down with an injury. Grant Tisdale is the guy that takes over as the quarterback. But could you see more of Plumley as like a change of pace, mix it up, almost like how the Saints use Taysom Hill? And everybody uses that example for the non-starting quarterback playing, but it's an easy one to make. I think it's certainly possible. I don't know the answer to that at this point. And my answer as far as the backup quarterback it. The answer to that could change as you get further in the season, but I think Tisdale had the spring. He's more comfortable. He certainly speaks like he's going to be the backup quarterback. Um, I think he just really got a leg up by being here in the spring. So will that be the case the whole season? I don't know. I would give Plumlee a puncher's chance just because of his athleticism to maybe win that job and maybe have some uh, special packages as Borky's talking about because he does extend a lot of plays with his feet and he is a competent thrower of the football. Um I think ultimately Plumley's the backup. I, I don't know that he's necessarily the backup on Saturday. You may think I'm crazy. No, I don't disagree. I was leaving the possibility. I just don't know. I would leave the possibility open for that certainly yeah. to be the case. Um, I do think if Matt Corral has to come out of a game this Saturday, I think Grant Tisdale would go in first. Um, but I think that's more, of, like I said, a product of being him being a little bit ahead mentally and being here longer and just kind of a comfort thing because Rich Rod's seen slightly more of Grant Tisdale. Um, 
Seven wide receivers on the depth chart. Braylon Sanders, Demarcus Gregory, Elijah Moore, Tylen Knight, Don Terrio, Drummond, Jonathan Mingo, and Miles Battle. Get the feeling you're going to see all seven of them. Probably in some capacity. Um, and then if you saw more, it would be what the Dennis and Jaden Jacksons and maybe Jordan Jernigan. Um, if you're looking for a tell on the offensive side, Bryce Matthews is not listed as the starting left tackle. Michael Howard is. Instead, Bryce Matthews is listed as Alex Givens' quote, backup at left tackle, and I think that's someone they want to slide. A right tackle, excuse me. Howard's left tackle. Um, I just don't see it from a conditioning standpoint as to how Givens contributes really at all. Maybe they give him 20-something snaps, but, I mean, he hasn't gone through a full practice since... What, the spring? So, so you anticipate Bryce Matthews at right tackle, Michael Howard at left tackle, and then once Alex Givens is healthy, he goes. he's at right tackle and Matthews goes to left tackle? Or they're really lacking. We talked about this on Thursday, I guess, and I'm writing something later this week on it, but they're missing the, the Jordan Sims or the Sean Rawlings, the guy that's played a decent bit that can play multiple positions that you can stick in a lot of different spots to kind of generate some pseudo-depth. And I think they're hoping Matthews can be that guy. So I actually don't know what happens to Matthews when Givens comes back, but I think him being listed currently as Givens' as backup would probably give you a pretty decent indication that they know that they can't at least count on Givens in a full capacity, I guess would be the most definitive way I could say that. All right, so starting offensive line group left to right for Ole Miss, Michael Howard, Royce Newman, Eli Johnson at center, Ben Brown at right guard, and Alex Givens at right tackle, assuming he plays, if not Bryce Matthews at right tackle. Cooley and Pellerin are listed as or tight ends. And then you've got four running backs on the depth chart. Scotty Phillips is a starter, and then a couple of oars there, Jerrion Ely or Isaiah Woolard or Snoop Connor. Uh, so we'll see if all four of those guys play. Uh, so at the running back position, you're talking about a senior, a sophomore, and two freshmen uh, in the mix, so a young group there. We'll go through Mississippi State's depth chart on the other side of the timeout that's coming up in just a minute. Quick look at the uh, defense. Ole Miss, though, going with the 3 4 uh, Josiah Coatney, Benito Jones, and Ryder Anderson, or Tarika Tisdale, uh, the starters up front. Uh, the outside linebackers, Kadir Shepard and Sam Williams. The inside linebackers, Momo Sonogo or Dante Evans, and Lakia Henry. Does the or surprise you with Sonogo and Evans? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, I mean, Sonogo's going to start. Um, Matt Luke talks a little bit about Dante Evans having a pretty good camp and them seeing some good things from him. I don't necessarily buy a lot into that. Like, okay. I mean, Mohamed Sanogo led the team in tackles by 30 something tackles last year. He's the most established linebacker they have. I don't read a ton into that. Um, really, the only other thing is Jalen Jones is technically not a starter at corner, but I don't read a ton in that, too. He's made, by all accounts, a full recovery from that ACL injury. I think they just, they were, Hartsfield, Smith and Jones are all pretty even, and they're going to play all three a lot, and two of them have to be listed as a starter, and one technically has to be a reserve. Okay. Uh, let's see. Corners, Kedron Smith or Jalen Jones. John Haynes at strong safety. Jalen Julius at free safety. Miles Hartsfield at the uh, corner on the other side. Luke Logan will be the kicker. Mac Brown the punter. Casey Griffith will kick off. Um, Elijah Moore punt returns. And Jalen Jones and Jerrion Ely for kickoff returns. So, Jones took a kickoff to the house where he got hurt last year. He did in the uh, season opener against uh, against Texas Tech. 
All right, let's do the exact same thing with Mississippi State's depth chart that was released earlier today going into game week. We'll walk through it, see if there's anything that is of surprise, and uh, take a look at uh, the listed starters going into week number one. Yes, there is some subject to change there uh, because of the events of last week, but uh, we will not know until Saturday what exactly or who exactly is subject to change. We're back after this with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understand, excuse me, understanding you. Miss's depth chart for week one just a moment ago. Let's do the same thing for Mississippi State right now. Starting wide receivers, Stephen Gidry, Dedrick Thomas, and Osiris Mitchell. Hey, Dad, you've got eight, nine total receivers listed. Devontae Jason and Cameron Gardner backing up Gidry. Mm-hmm. Zuber and Austin Williams backing up Thomas. And then Javante Payton and Malik Deer backing up Osiris Mitchell. How many of those nine do you think will play? Against Louisiana, probably all of them, if I had to guess. Okay. I mean, this is a game Mississippi State won a season ago, fifty-six to ten. Uh, I, I would think it's going to be, you know, just here we are on a Monday. I'm not trying to give away my 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 huge prediction on uh, on Friday, but yeah, I think State will probably win the game pretty comfortably. So I would expect most of those guys to uh, to get playing time, especially Malik Deer. You know, you would think he's probably the low man on the totem pole, but he's listed as the first team uh, punt returner as well. So he'll he'll definitely see some action. Left to right on the offensive line, Tyree Phillips backed up by Quatre. How do you say his name? Johnson's. Name. I'm gonna tell you how to say his name. You ready? Dollar yep. Bill. Dollar Bill Johnson. That's what you call him. Just call him Dollar Quatrivi- Bill. You don't, even, you don't even need to throw the Johnson in. Just Dollar Bill. Okay. Uh, Darian Parker at left guard backed up by Michael Story. Daryl Williams at center backed up by Evans Wilkerson. Stuart Reese, the right guard, backed up by LaQuinston Sharp, and an OR with Greg Island. At right tackle or Tommy Champion, and what Mullen or uh, excuse me, Moorhead was asked about Tommy Champion today and said I had no update. Right? I uh, know he said discipline was handled internally. Sort of basically what we predicted uh, last week on the show. He, he he won't be missing any time. Gotcha. Uh, the tight ends: Farad Green, uh, Dante Jones. Jarquarius Spivey, those are both listed as or, and then Brad Cumbest, who you remember played baseball as well, and uh, Powers Warren. So five tight ends listed there. Five what tight a name. ends. That's which one? Powers Warren. Do you know who his dad is? Super Powers Warren. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's Kevin Warren, who's the president of the or the commissioner of the Big Ten now. Ah, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. How about that? Uh, Kylan Hill. Is the starting running back no shock there? Backed up Big by surprise. Nick Gibson and Lee Witherspoon, and then uh, Tommy Stevens with Garrett Schrader listed as the backup. And we talked a little bit about this on Friday. I, I just I thought the way that Joe Moore had answered some of the questions and some of what he had to say um, after their last scrimmage made me think that Garrett Schrader might be in that spot as opposed to Jalen Maiden. And first depth chart comes out, and that's exactly what you've got. Yeah, and that's it's going to be very interesting with Keaton Thompson in the the transfer portal to see you know how that plays out. You know who's the first QB off the bench? Are they going to try to redshirt Schrader? I don't know the answer to that right now. One thing to remember with this depth chart, and we're fixing to do defense real quick. 
it's you talk about a fluid depth chart because the state has not announced the suspensions that are likely coming as a result of those NCAA sanctions. So you've got a lot of guys who I know have been rumored to be involved in this. Uh, this this depth chart will look a lot different on Saturday. I, I get the imp- the impression. All right, defense uh, left side Chauncey Rivers backed up by Fletcher Adams. Defensive tackle Lee Autry. Uh, Jaden Crumedy, Kendall Jones, nose guard Fabian Lovett, and James Jackson, uh, Marquise Spencer, and Kobe Jones over on the right end position. Uh, weak side uh, middle linebacker Willie Gay, Leo Lewis, Aaron Brule, middle linebacker Earl Thompson, Tim Washington, and Shamar Kilby Lane, hyphenated last name there. Uh, strong side linebacker Tim Washington, Shamar Kilby Lane again. Uh, so uh, they can move him around a little bit. At the star position, Brian Cole, who was named a team captain today, backed up by Fred Peters. Corner, Maurice Smitherman. Free safety, C.J. Morgan. Strong safety, Jaquarius Landrews. And then uh, the other corner, Cam Dancer. Bunch of new faces on the defensive side. Only one, two, three, four returning starters. And one of those returning starters is technically not listed as a starter in Leo Lewis. Yeah. First of all, State's going to be really good defensively if they can get away with putting these 12 guys out there on the field at all times. Uh, but that said, yeah, I mean, Willie Gay is not listed as a starter, but he started yeah. games last year. Um, yeah, they Chauncey include Re- the nickel package in the starters. I'm sorry. Yeah, they did. Smitherman also started games for Mississippi State. I guess technically he didn't start the majority of the games, but he, he's did, he did start, as did Jaquarius Landrews. Uh, he started uh, some games for Mississippi State. So that's it's a little misleading there in terms of who's, you know, coming back and all, but – there are a lot of guys. This is a, it's not a lot of starters coming back, but there's a ton of experience coming back. Basically, outside of the defensive tackle position, the five guys they have listed there: Autry, Crumedy, Jones, Lovett, and Jackson. Barely any reps whatsoever. I mean, Autry's the, the lead dog on that. Everybody else has played in a lot of games, and and, and in some cases, has started games. In the specialist group, I was a little fascinated by this. Place kicker Jordan Lawless or Jace Christman. Christman is the returning starter at that spot, but that competition has been close enough that they have listed them as uh, an or proposition. Feels like Jace Christman probably goes out and kicks first, but we'll see. Yeah. And Lawless has been a guy they've raved about this this uh, fall camp. That he's really, really done well. And as I, like you said, Chrisman was a really established starter, had done a great job the last two years. So to catch up with him, you have to imagine Lawless has been pretty consistent in practice. Uh, Tucker Day will punt as a sophomore. Scott Goodman is the kickoff man. Uh, Cody Shexnader was named a team captain today. The uh, kickoff return guys, Isaiah Zuber or Brian Cole, and the punt returners, Malik Deer or Brian Cole. So that's a look at Mississippi State's depth chart going into week one against Louisiana. You heard Haydad say a second ago, a fluid depth chart. Five o'clock hour, college football fix when we come back. Just after five o'clock on this Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe you're ready to buy a piece of property in North Mississippi. Well, whether it's a recreational piece of property, a spot where you're going to build a dream hound, uh, dream home, dream house. Dream hound sounds kind of cool, too, though. I'm not sure what a dream hound is exactly, but uh, you know what I mean. Bassett. There you go. 
just a spot to get away. Mississippi Land Bank has been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. They can help you. Uh, you can find a branch location near you, MS landbank.com is a website also grab the phone number there call one of their branch locations you'll talk to great people who can help you with whatever it is that you are looking for hey quickly we we looked at Ole Miss and Mississippi State's depth charts let's do the exact same thing for uh for Southern Miss they open with Alcorn State on Saturday night at the uh, at the rock and Jack Abraham he is indeed named as the or listed as the starting quarterback on the roster. The six foot, two hundred four pound red shirt junior in his second season in Hattiesburg. Travinsky Mosley gets the start at running back. The tight end is Ray Ladner. Jordan Mitchell and Jalen Adams and Tim Jones are listed as the starting wide receiver. Uh, got a note earlier this afternoon from um, uh, Luke Johnson who told me that uh, Quez Watkins is going to be held out of the first two games this season for Southern Miss. He was the leading wide receiver a year ago, had 72 catches for 889 yards and nine touchdowns, at least at this point. No further uh, information as to why or the details of that, other than uh, that Quez Watkins is not going to play the uh, first couple of games of the year. After Watkins, Tim Jones was next best on the team. He's listed as a starter. Uh, mentioned uh, Jordan Mitchell um, from a season ago. He is listed as a starter as well. Uh, so Tate Watley listed as the backup. And you kind of got a feeling when we talked last week with um, uh, with Jay Hobson that that was going to be the case. Uh, and he said he's going to list a starting quarterback. There may be some situations where they bring Tate Watley into the ball game. Uh, but you didn't get the impression from talking with Jay Hobson that uh, he was ready to roll out a two-quarterback system or anything uh, along those lines. Uh, on the defensive side, Jacques Turner, Demario Smith, Delmond Landry on the uh, defensive line, 3-4 setup. Uh, Torrance Brown, Kyle Hemby, and uh, Rasheem Booth, and Santrell Latham, the uh, linebackers, and the nickelbacks, DQ Thomas with uh, Rashawn Mitchell, Shannon Showers and Ty Williams. Uh, the place kicker, not entirely decided yet. It's going to be either Andrew Stein or uh, Ryan Shimtop. Zach Everett will be the punter. So that's uh, what Southern Miss is going to roll out for game number one against Alcorn State coming up on Saturday night. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You have just days remaining, like a week from today, until the Hurry Up and Save sales event comes to an end. That's where you can save an estimated 20% off of manufacturer's suggested retail prices on the full lineup of Ford cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs. Visit your local Ford dealer and test drive one to day. So we heard from coaches today at their uh, media availability abilities. Let's uh, let you hear a little bit about what they had to say as well. We'll start with Joe Moorhead. Uh, kind of a rundown for what they are looking at on Saturday as they get set for Louisiana Lafayette. You know, obviously led by Coach Napier heading into his second year. Uh, seven and seven overall. He is the offensive play caller. They were the 2018 Sunbelt Western Division champions and uh, played Tulane in the Auto Nation Cure Bowl. Uh, and they were selected to win the Western Division again this year. 
And uh, Coach Napier has worked, you know, um, for two of the you know greatest minds and you know most uh, kind of storied coaches in, in college football. Work, working both for Coach Saban and Coach Sweeney. Uh, Rob Sales, the offensive line coach. They are multiple spread offense. Uh, averaged 31.9 a game last year. Very balanced attack. 218 uh, rushing, 205 passing. Uh, the quarterback will be Levi Lewis. We're expecting 585 yards passing last year and seven touchdowns. Left-handed, very athletic. Uh, throws a deep ball very well. Uh, they have three very, very talented running backs. Number nine, Trey Raggis. Number 15, Mitchell. And number four, Calais. All three combined for 2,912 yards last year. But all powerful, very quick. And then uh, the wide receiver, number two, Jamarcus Bradley from Ackerman. 608 yards receiving last year, 10 touchdowns. Very crisp route runner and very fast. So those are the guys offensively uh, that we're preparing for. Ron Roberts is our defensive coordinator. A mix of three and four down, one and two high zones. Uh, you know, throw some man-to-man in there so you get just about everything but the kitchen sink. Uh, 15th in the country last year in third down conversion percentage defense, along with forcing 15 turnovers. Uh, Chauncey Manick, uh, the, the defensive lineman rush in, kind of plays a little bit of a hybrid position. Uh, 47 tackles, eight for loss and four sacks last year. Very high motor with active hands. Uh, Farad Gardner, uh, the inside linebacker, uh, number seven, 50 tackles, a TFL and two PBUs. You know, shows up... Uh, Shows up in the big games. Played very well both both against us and Alabama last year. And then defensive back Michael Jaquette, 47 tackles, two interceptions, and 11 PBUs last year. Long, athletic, with good ball skills. Matt Powell is their special teams coordinator in his second year. Averaged 24 yards a kickoff return last year, which, which was 20, uh, 17th in the NCAA. Uh, Ray McClay is a kick returner. Averages just about 26 per return, which was top 20 in the country. We're expecting... Um, Stephen Artigue, uh, the kicker who was injured, injured in 18 to be back this year. Uh, Lou Groza award watch list in 2017, 70% career on his kicks. And then Jamarcus Bradley is the punt and kick returner. Uh, seven yards of punt return, long of 24 last year, and a long of 55 on the kick return. All right, there you go. You even got the uh, field goal kicking percentage of a guy that missed uh, last season. Pretty comprehensive, hey, Dad? Get it every week with him. He, he he breaks it all down for us. I may just use that for my opponent preview this week. Oh yeah, yeah. You're not going to dig any deeper than that. I mean, what else? What other? What else is there? <laughs> Look at that. I just, I just got all the numbers. Um, Keaton Thompson announced on Friday that he was entering the transfer portal. He is at least at this point still in Starkville. He met with Joe Moorhead yesterday. Scheduled to meet with Moorhead and Briner again today. But here is Joe Moorhead on Keaton Thompson's official status with the team. Yeah, I love KT. He's a great kid, and you know certainly uh, was uh, you know involved in a very healthy and spirited competition. Which you know, unfortunately for him, he came out on the short end. And uh, you know, we met the day that we announced it with him, uh, with he and Tommy, and then came back. Uh, he did go on. Lo- he did go back later to uh, to say specifically about Keaton Thompson that he is not currently with the team. Hey, Dad, is there is there reason to believe that something's going to happen and the mind is going to change there, or do you anticipate this just kind of being, you know, the start of the process? Well, Keaton has at least been receptive to meeting with Moorhead and Andrew Briner. Uh, they've met uh, they met this past weekend. They're, they're scheduled to meet again this week. Um, so, I mean... It, it may come down to can you sell Keaton Thompson on hey you're you're going to be the starter next year if if you stay whereas you know if you put yourself in another situation you, you don't really know um, 
So I, I, I don't know that it's just a formality either way. But Why I would, would you sell say, him on that idea, though? Because they don't believe that. I don't know if they believe that. If they don't believe that he can, another year that he could get better. I don't know that for a fact. I mean, I don't. I don't think they could be. They think. I don't think that they thought he could be the guy this year. But could he be the guy next year? I don't know. I mean, I'm not willing to make that declaration. Yeah. I mean, you're obviously a whole lot closer than I am, man. But reading between the lines, it feels like Garrett Schrader is their guy going forward. There's something to that, but at the same time, you know, he's either going to be a redshirt freshman or a true sophomore. You know, still be young. He's. I don't think he's going to play a whole ton this year. So, I mean, Keaton would still be more experienced than him. I, I just, I mean, maybe maybe they're just, you know, they're just going to tell him that just to tell him what he wants to hear because they'd like to keep him on the roster and they'll they'll figure it all out next year. But, I mean, then you could be going into a situation next season where, you know, if he doesn't win the job, then he's definitely gone. And then Jalen Maiden's probably gone too. And now you're down to Schrader and, you know, if he holds to his commitment, Will Rogers. So, I don't know, just a dangerous game to play. Yeah, it, it is, and, and that – Roster is a little thin, uh, or excuse me, that position group is is a little thin. If Keaton Thompson leaves, especially in comparison to where it was just a few days ago, wouldn't it though behoove Keaton Thompson to go wherever wherever it is that he's going to go and get there and sit out, so that he's if, eligible yeah, for, next year? For Keaton, it would make the most sense to go ahead and go. I think for Mississippi State, it would make the most sense to try to keep him. So that's just sort of we're going to find out who can do a better job of selling that, I guess, in the next couple of days. Yeah, we'll also um, circle back and hear a little bit more of what uh, Joe Moorhead had to say when we continue with you. The College Football Fix will roll on, presented by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers, Sports Talk Mississippi, and the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll continue to check in with the head coaches that talked in front of microphones earlier today. Joe Moorhead meeting with media in Starkville, Matt Luke in Oxford. Joe Moorhead talked about uh, Tommy Stevens and his growth as a quarterback. I've seen a lot more maturity and a lot more understanding. And, uh, you know, early on in Tommy's career and kind of 16 and maybe not so much in 17, that, that he's so incredibly athletic and gifted physically as a runner, as a thrower, he would kind of fall back on those things and maybe not be as precise in the details of it. And, and what I've seen throughout camp and, you know, heading into practice week is a maturation and an understanding of the, of the details, you know, where maybe in the past he would not, you know, change the protection thinking he could get the ball out if it wasn't picked up or maybe not go through his reads and kind of improvise. Uh, he still has the improvisational skills, but but he's uh, he's – He's doing a much better job understanding the scheme and, and how it uh, how it affects his decision making and, and, and his productivity. And then finally, very little information here, but uh, Joe Moorhead was asked if the suspensions that were announced on Friday, although though they weren't really announced, would change the way that they prepare week to week. Like anything, whether whether it's a suspension or an injury or you know guys not being able to play, you kind of sit in on a Sunday and. Look at the people who are available and uh, make the necessary adjustments to the depth chart and the schemes and try to do your best to put your kids in position to be successful. So that's just something where you got to do it on the front end and making sure you're uh, making all the necessary adjustments based on who's available. Hey, Dad, one of the things that we talked about on Friday was, you know, it appears, and we don't necessarily have confirmation on this, but we've been led to believe, I think, that Mississippi State's got some flexibility with how they handle the suspensions that have to happen 
And as best I could tell from listening to Joe Moorhead, I don't know if you were able to gather anything otherwise, they are not at all tipping their hand on what or how they're going to go about handling those. No, they made it very clear we'll, we'll find out week to week and, and basically find out every game day uh, who, who is not playing in that game. So, yeah, I, we, we aren't going to get anything from MSU ahead of time uh, on this uh, particular issue. Doesn't it feel like week two is when it's going to kind of come together and you'll be able to have a pretty good idea of who is dealing with multiple game suspensions? I mean, it, it, because we've talked about the fact every team in America seemingly – has one or two or three or four guys that's not available for the first game of the year because of something that we probably didn't hear anything about in the offseason and they're handling it internally. But when you have guys whose names are recurring over the course of a couple of weeks, then you kind of begin to piece together who's actually out for an extended period? Correct, yeah. Player X is on week one and week two. It's probably a pretty good bet. That you're not going to see them week three, week four, maybe all the way to week eight at that point. Yeah, yeah. I would think that would, that would seem like a, a very logical conclusion. All right, let's flip over from Starkville to Oxford. Matt Luke meeting with the media started out by talking about the health of his team, in particular, Alec, uh, and particularly Alex Gibbons. I think we're coming out of camp uh, relatively healthy. Um, I think the biggest question mark is still Alex Gibbons, just trying to uh, try to integrate him. He's been doing a bunch bunch of walkthroughs, you know, a bunch of stuff conditioning-wise, doing everything he can. I think he's still going to be day-to-day at this point, and probably no more Tuesday and Wednesdays. We try to integrate him back into the practice. So I think he'll be day-to-day, but should be able to tell you more on Wednesday, a little bit more definitive on him. But other than that, we're pretty healthy. Rippy, does it feel like there's anybody, or is there anybody that stands out that's not available for the, the week one opener outside of potentially Alex Gibbons? Not, um, no, I guess would be the short answer. That says something if you're able to go through an entire fall camp and basically everybody's healthy for the first game of the year. Millennials are soft. <laughs> no, I mean, that's what we talked about last week. Like, it's pretty boring camp, and usually if you don't have a boring camp, it's either a quarterback battle, off-the-field news, or injury stuff. So they made it out pretty clean. They did okay. Um... You know, I, I guess you would expect a head coach to answer a question this way, but um, Matt Luke was asked, hey, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, does your team know the new systems? Well, I mean, I think anytime you have a lot of new players, you find out a lot in the first game. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, we've, we've had a really, really good camp. Uh, we've had several good scrimmages of good on good, and that's probably your biggest indicator is when you're out there in the live in the stadium is, you know, how, how are they doing when the coaches are off the field and they're in the box? And uh, I thought the competition's been good. The understanding has looked good. You know, I thought, um, I think it's been several good competitions. I think that creates creates some, uh, you know, some learning faster because you got guys pushing you, and I think that's good too. Find out a lot about yourself in week one. Also um, tend to grow the most between week one and week two. Right. Biggest improvement comes between week one and week two. That's what they say. Mr. Quarterback tears his ACL in week one, I guess. Jeez. Um, Don't say that out loud. Holy cow. Is that a cliched saying? What? You grow the most between week one and week two? Yeah. The yeah. coaches all over America, after this first week, before they get ready for their second game, will say, you know, tend to make your biggest improvement between week one and week two. Okay. Uh, Rich Rodriguez was asked, 
what's different about his freshman quarterbacks between now and when Paul Camp started a month ago. And he pointed out that they are, in fact, four weeks older. <laughs> he, 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 that true statement. He said that. He ripped that one. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Has, uh, has Matt Corral embraced the leadership? Uh, you know, I think um, you look at all the, the, the little things. Uh, obviously, he's gotten gotten better and more comfortable in the system. But I think it's the the leadership, um, feeling comfortable. You know, talking to the receivers, talking to the O line, feeling feeling comfortable in that leadership role. And uh, you know, I think uh, you know, him going out to SEC media days, doing all those little things, I think makes a big difference because he he is uh, was thrust into that role. But I think he's done a good job with it. Obviously, young on the offensive line. We've talked uh, a fair amount about Nick Broker throughout fall camp. What's the approach that they've used in getting him ready to be a contributor on the offensive line? When you go out there in your scrimmages and he's playing against really good defensive linemen, that that's your that's your best opportunity is to go out there and see the speed of the game, what it's really going to be like. Now, obviously, you can't simulate a true game, but you just try to make practice as much like a game as you can and put him in those tough situations where there are no coaches around. They can't hear they're out there and, and I think that's the best the best teacher that you have. And I think he's a he's a little bit more mature than most most freshmen in his learning curve. Um, you could tell pretty quickly that um, uh, he was gonna have an opportunity just with his effort and his toughness and things like that. So uh, you know I think he'll be ready when, you know if he gets thrown out there. Memphis has a returning starter at quarterback in Brady White. Last year he threw for almost 3,300 yards, 26 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, completed 63% of his passes. Matt Luke was asked his thoughts on Memphis quarterback Brady White. Very, very accurate. He's really, really good um, at what they do. Um, he, he's got a very quick release, and that's, that's, that bodes well in the RPO game. And, you know, they make you respect their run game and do a really good job in the run game, obviously. And then they have the RPOs built in to put your players in conflict. So his ability to have a quick release and be accurate with the football and obviously make good decisions make him very, very good. Interesting note, uh, note about Brady White. His overall numbers of 3,300 yards, 63%, 26 touchdowns, and nine picks were pretty good. However, against five S, uh, the five FBS teams that Memphis played last year with a winning record, he completed 54% of his passes with six touchdowns and six interceptions. So uh, racked up some big numbers against some teams that uh, maybe weren't as talented. Uh, kind of interesting thoughts there with uh, regard to Brady White. Um, one more thing to throw out at you. I, I asked uh, Matt Luke about preseason games, the idea that high school teams have got jamborees, the NFL's got four preseason games, and whether or not college football needs some sort of a preseason. No, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I, the way we try to approach it, and you asked the tackling question earlier, is you try to make your first scrimmage preseason game number one. And your, you know, your second game preseason game number two, then you have a mock game, you know, as you go through camp. And so that, that's kind of the way that we approach it as, hey, our preseason game number one is our first scrimmage. So then we try to have SEC officials come in and try to make it as much like a game as we can. So that's the way we approach it. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess it's all you've got to go on. I don't think you can do anything else. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't. Can... You can't do anything else. But it, we talk about scheduling a lot a whole lot in the offseason and the idea comes up of teams whether or not they should play FCS schools during the season and some people don't like it some people I like it only because I grew up on FCS football and they get to pay for stuff with those games but wouldn't this make a ton of sense to let them like two weeks before the start of the season 
bring an FCS school in and do an open scrimmage and sell tickets. People would show up. It wouldn't be the million five payout that some of these schools get. But if you have to eliminate these FCS games to improve your scheduling, oh, it would be a great alternative. You get your, your preseason reps and see your team in a live game, but it's an FCS school and you can still sell tickets and still get them their money opportunity, although not as big. What if you just made that week zero? What what if you went week zero and teams scheduled an FCS opponent in week zero and it was not a game that counted in your win-loss record, but it was an actual game? Because you're going to have to, like, people want more week zero football now. You're going to have to go, like, week negative one. Like, you're going to have to push everything back. So Miami and Florida would have to be week negative one? Or vice versa. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.